Today we're continuing on in our series, The Five Solas, by looking at the term solus Christus, which means Christ alone. Over the last three weeks, we've looked at three other essential teachings that alone need to be understood. We need to understand sola scriptura, which is in scripture alone, that scripture has the authority in matters of faith. We looked at sola gratia and sola fide, which are in grace alone and faith alone. But today we see solus Christus as the backbone of all of this teaching. All of these things are meant to be distinguished in and of themselves, but they're all actually tied together, and they're tied together in the person of Jesus Christ. But before we can look at this idea and sort of flesh out what does it mean to think about and reflect on Christ alone, we have to understand this term of Christ. You know, we hear the name Jesus Christ all the time, both inside and outside of the church. And unfortunately, it is used often in a derogatory way. We use it as a curse word, as a negative way of saying something. But this is not a term that should be used lightly or in sort of a cursing manner. Because this word Christ means the anointed one or the chosen one. And so the person who has this title attached to them is really someone meant to be elevated because the chosen one was someone who God and his people had an arrangement about. God would send his chosen one, his anointed one, to save the people that he loved. And so the people of God really looked for and celebrated this chosen one. And so when we call Jesus, Jesus Christ, we're not talking about a legal name that he has, but we're talking about a title that he had. Jesus is the name of a man who lived about 2,000 years ago. He had a mom, Mary, a stepdad, Joseph. He was fully God and fully man. A great teacher who lived a wonderful life, that one that we should emulate. But he was more than that. He was the chosen one of God who came to live a perfect life, to die on the cross, to rise from the dead so that we might be saved. And so when we use this word Christ, and when we say in Jesus Christ alone, we're talking about matters of significance. We're talking about the thing that God chose his own son for. Christ alone accomplishes a lot. And that starts with this idea that Jesus is our Savior. But really, that's only the starting point for us today. Because as one writer says, the center, the cornerstone, the jewel in the crown of Christianity is not an idea, a system, or a thing. It's not even the gospel as such. It is Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look at four reasons why Jesus is the jewel in the crown of Christianity. We're going to look at four things that Christ alone talks about. What are the four things that only Jesus can accomplish? If you're taking notes, you can write down these four things. The first one is that Jesus alone saves. The second is that Jesus alone ties scripture and theology together. The third is that Jesus alone is the centerpiece in God's plan for his glory. And finally, we'll look at how Jesus alone gives us, his followers, a full life. But let's start with this first point, that Jesus alone saves. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, we read this. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. 
This teaching of Christ alone when it is about our salvation is really significant for two reasons. One, it tells us that we can be saved. And second, it tells us how we can be saved. This is critical because as people, we are all broken. We all live a life of sin, which in turn leads us to death. Scripture tells us that because of the ways that we worship things instead of God and we harm ourselves, God, and other people who he's created, because of that, we are separated from him. It's not because he hates us, but it's because he hates sin. God is a holy God. He's pure. He's blemish-free, but he's also righteous and, and just. And so he has to deal with things that are not right, things that are unjust with justice. And that means that there has to be a penalty for the ways that we go against his teachings, his wishes, his commands, against his heart. And scripture tells us that the penalty for this is death. And because God is just, there is no way that we can be in relationship with him. There's no way that we can be found right with him unless restitution has occurred. But there's just no way that we can pay this penalty on our own because we don't have a perfect life. We, we have a bad track record and there's no way even towards the end of our lives that we can ever do enough to fix that. And so the only way that we can be saved is by someone else stepping into our place. And that's where God himself, Jesus came down to earth to live the perfect life, to die the gruesome death that we deserve, and then to not just die, but to rise back to life so that when we put our faith and trust in him, we can receive the grace that he extends to us. And so the Father chooses the Son to be the chosen one for us. B.B. Warfield wrote, The saving power of faith resides thus not in itself, but in the Almighty Savior on whom it rests. Over the last couple of weeks, as we've looked at grace alone and faith alone, we've seen that these are the, the ways by which we are saved, but ultimately, it's not our faith that saves us. It's who we have faith in, who is Jesus. Jesus is the only one who could accomplish the payment for our sin. We, in turn, just receive the benefit of God's grace by trusting in what Jesus accomplished. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, this is something to celebrate. We, we can be excited and glad. We can worship God because of what he's done. For those of us who aren't followers of Jesus, this should give us pause. When we look at the brokenness in our life and in the world around us, we have to consider what is going to save us from this. Surely there's got to be consequences when we do wrong. So what can pay back for what we have done? Jesus alone can deal with these matters. So the second thing that we can learn, if, if Christ is our Savior, what else does Christ do? Well, Jesus alone ties Scripture and theology together. This is the, the core teaching, in, a, in essence, for us directly, but there's so much more to who God is in our knowing him. There's so much to our study of his word to us to teach us how to, to live that we need to understand. And so we ask ourselves when we look at things like the Bible and we try to study it or we listen to, to sermons and Bible studies and we have all these pieces that are floating around, we might ask ourselves, well, well how do I fit all of this together? Well, Jesus himself said, well, you have to understand it through who I am. We see in Luke chapter 24 in verses 26 and 27, there's this encounter between Jesus after he's been resurrected with a couple of his followers. 
Some of his followers were on a road between two villages, and as they were walking, they were quite saddened. You know, Jesus has just died, he's been buried, but now his tomb's been found empty, and, and no one knows where he is. And so they're, they're, they're defeated. Some of their hope is lost. They are confused about how God works and, and what he's doing in all this. That is until Jesus shows up and reveals what's going on. Jesus says this in verse 26 and 27. He said, did not the Messiah, and that word Messiah is uh, the Hebrew word for where we, from which we get Christ. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So he points out, hey, what's happened is actually the fulfillment of what the chosen one, what I would have to go through. And then he walks them through all the teachings of the faith and, and says, look how this all comes together through me. Jesus was revealing what we need to know as his disciples, that if we're supposed to understand who God is and how he works, we have to look at it through the lens of Jesus. I mean, the Bible's confusing for most of us, so to bring clarity, we have to put on the right glasses, and, and that's sort of how I think about this. I, I, I think about it like when we go to the optometrist, and you know when you go to the optometrist and you're there because you can't see quite right, and so they have you read uh, the poster on the wall with all the different letters, and it always starts with whatever it is, a, bi a biggie, and they get smaller and smaller, and you kind of read, and they say, okay, now what we're going to do is figure out what lens you need to help you read to the right level. And so they wheel that big thing in front of your eyes, the big black mask with all the different lenses, and they twist it and turn it and, and flip the lenses, and they say, okay, number one or number two? Number one, number two. Number three, number four. Three, four. And, and as they do this, you're sitting there kind of being like, I, I, I'm not sure, I'm not sure. But slowly as you work with them, they get to the right lens. And it's amazing. These lenses are, are, are so close to the same size, but with even less than a millimeter, the, the right shape is able to allow us to see the letters on the wall. And in the same way, having the right lens helps us to understand Scripture. When most of us approach, approach Scripture as we're starting to, to understand our, our faith and our walk, the, the first questions that come to mind are, well, how does this affect me? Where am I in this story? How do I understand this for me? But that's the wrong lens. It does help us in part to see what Scripture tells us, but what's more important is looking at through the that things through the lens of Christ and the cross. When we start to ask questions like, how does this tell me about God? What does it tell me about God? How do the cross and Jesus fit in all, into all of this? We start to really see Scripture for what it is, for what it reveals to us. It's like when that right lens comes in front of our face and we're able to say, that's it, I can see now. Putting this lens of Christ in the cross helps us to see and understand and know what God says to us in his word and what we're supposed to understand about the study of who he is. And that takes us a step further to this third idea of what it means for Christ alone to be an essential teaching. We understand that Christ alone, that Jesus alone is the centerpiece for God's plan for bringing himself glory. There's this famous and beautiful prayer at the end of the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Rome. 
He prays this. He says, To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, Paul's not just praying here, but he's teaching us. I don't think he fully intended to teach us, but rather to just point us to the truth that there is, that the God has chosen to orchestrate a plan for his glory. He's, he's wise. He's planned this out, and he's chosen Jesus to be what really elevates who he is. It's, it's how we understand us. Now, we're not going to spend too much time here today because that's what we're going to focus on next, with, next week. This idea of soli deo gloria, for the glory of God alone. That's, that's our purpose. That's ultimately Jesus' purpose in, in his coming to earth. But what I want us to, to gather is see how all of these elements of the solas are tied together in the person of Jesus. And the best example of this is the writing of Stephen Wellam. He's a theologian. He writes this. In the end, the ultimate goal of God in our redemption is his own glory. Even as we were transformed into a creaturely reflection of it. And yet, the radiance of the glory of God is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ our Lord. The word spoken by God, the faith given by God, the grace extended by God, and the glory possessed and promised by God cannot make sense apart from the Son of God who became a man for our salvation. To understand the glory of God, we have to understand this important teaching of Christ alone for our salvation, for our understanding, and what we'll see is this fourth point as for the, the fruit and fulfillment of life. You see, Jesus alone gives a fullness and fruit to our life. In John 15, verse 5, Jesus taught his disciples this way. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus alone brings the fruit to our lives. We get this picture of a vine and, and branches, don't we? Whether it's because we've been to a winery around here or in the Okanagan, or we've just seen a plant like a, a trellis, or a vine climbing up a trellis, and we see the branches coming off. We know that the root of those branches way up high, their, their source, their nutrients, their energy comes through the vine that goes down into the ground nutrients and life the energy that's needed to produce the fruit comes through the vine and so jesus says i'm that vine and apart from me you're just a branch that's fallen on the ground that's drying up to either be thrown in the fire or to go into the compost bin you'll notice that jesus tells us that the fruit that we want produced in our life comes from remaining or abiding in him being a disciple of Jesus is not just this matter of acknowledging Jesus alone, but it's being deeply connected to him, or remaining and working in him and seeing him become the totality of our lives and what our hearts desire. He alone is able to provide the life we so much want for. Discipleship or being a follower of Jesus is actually this mixture of a whole bunch of things. It's the way of thinking. It's a way of living. It's a way of experiencing the supernatural presence of God. But all of those things require Christ alone. In the verse just before John 15, 5, it says this, Remain in me as I also remain in you. 
For no branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So when we're connected from to this vine, we're able to have fruit in our lives. What's this fruit? Well, it's obedience to God. We're able to follow him more regularly and accurately and practically. It's also the fruit of the Spirit that we read about in Galatians 5. It's the, the, the markers of our life become love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These, these characteristics, these virtues that we so long to have, they come from remaining with Jesus alone. There's the fruit of the harvest. And in Luke, we see that Jesus promised a harvest, this fruit that will come up. And he sends his people out to collect this fruit by remaining in him and doing what he wants from them. In verse 8, we see that remaining in Jesus bears much fruit. It's not just one thing. It's a whole bunch of things. It's a fulfillment in life. In verse 7 and 8, we read this. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So if this fruit comes from being deeply connected to God, we see that it will ultimately fulfill this purpose of the glory of God. But this fruit is really nothing but the outcome of remaining of the, with the only source for the power that we need. The message here is simple. If you want the fruit that God promises for life, well, you got to go to the source and the, sor- the only source. This isn't just a grocery store where you can go to one on any corner. The only source for the fruit that we need in our lives is Jesus. And if you want fullness, you have to stay connected to him. But if you're not connected to him, your life will not be fulfilled. And so this is what we see when we talk about this, this doctrine, the central teaching of Solus Christus. We're really talking about more than a concept. We're talking about the salvation we so desperately need. We're talking about the thing that helps us make sense of God and who he is and how he works. It, it helps us understand what he's saying to us day to day through his word. So in Christ alone, we find ourselves not just sustained to be able to survive, but that the fruit will be produced so that we can thrive. So what does it look like then for us to embrace this teaching of soulless Christus? Well, there's three things that I would suggest in order for us to celebrate this and value it and to live it out. The first thing is for us to let Jesus alone be our salvation. Don't go searching anywhere else for something that promises to deliver on fixing and dealing with the brokenness inside you and in the world. Only Jesus can do that. It's fully God. He paid the price so that we wouldn't have to. So that just by putting our trust in him, just by living out our life following after him, we might live out that trust and in that we rest in him alone for our salvation. The second thing we need to do as, as followers of Jesus is as we seek to worship God and understand him through, through studying his word and, and wrestling through things in Bible studies and in church together and in conversations with other believers is we have to look continually through the cross and through Christ. You know, if you're finding yourself confused as you study scripture, as you listen to messages, as you go to Bible study. You're, you're not alone. That's all of us. That's me sometimes. And, but what we have to do is remember that there's a lens that we can put on that helps us to see clearly. 
For instance, if you're in the Old Testament and you're reading through it and you're kind of like, well, what, what are these prophecies? What's this psalm all about? What, what does this story and history have to do with anything? Well, how you can contextualize it is by asking questions like, well, what does knowing that the cross comes after this moment in history tell me about that specific moment? What does it help me to anticipate and celebrate? How does the cross help me understand this prophecy? Does it contextualize it? Does it point towards Jesus? And if it does, how do I see that fulfilled? If we're thinking about the the songs and the moments of, of, of great joy and gladness and those of great pain and lamentations, we, we can ask ourselves, how does the cross help us to understand this or have hope in this or to celebrate this more fully? If we're looking at the New Testament and you're going through the Gospels, you can sit and see this continual progression towards the cross and what Jesus will do. We can say, okay, how will this help ultimately reveal the divinity, the glory of God? How does this help reveal how God is revealing himself in human form? When we go to anything after the Gospels, we can look back. Well, how does looking at the cross shape these people? How might their lives be different? Their society be different? How might my society and life be different as I look and think about what Jesus has done? Let's put everything into the right place. Let it see it clearly by looking through Christ alone. And third, what we need to do is seek to abide in Jesus alone to bring the fulfillment that we need for our lives. We need to continually remember to go back to Jesus You know, we go to Jesus for our salvation, but then we forget the the power and the presence that he has for our lives. It's easy to forget this, but we can't because if we want the fruit that we so long for, we need to go to the source for the power and energy and nutrients. And, And we can't manufacture that on our own. Nothing in this world can bring that except for Jesus alone. So we need to spend time in prayer. We need to study what he says to us in his word. We we need to spend time serving and giving to take idols off the throne of our heart to allow Jesus to reign supreme in our life because he alone should be what we worship. In all of this, we can't help but recognize that we need Christ. But let's not just keep this to ourselves, but remember that our world needs Christ alone. There are others who need to know him. There are others that are looking for healing to the brokenness, for the freedom over the bondage in their life, for a a hope and a meaning and a purpose, for some form of salvation. We need to tell them that they can find it in Christ alone. You know, Jesus is the most exclusive and most inclusive person in the world. This teaching is the most exclusive and inclusive thing in the world. It's exclusive because God does all of this through Christ alone, but it's inclusive in that it's done for everybody. Jesus died for everyone. His his death paid the price for any sin that ever has been committed and will be committed. And anyone can find Jesus He just invites us to participate in bringing his message to them. So let us be motivated by this teaching of Solus Christus. Let us live for Christ alone. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you that you love us immensely. God, we thank you that more than that, that you are a God who is worth worshiping and honoring and praising. And God, we see that so vividly through how you worked through your son. Jesus, we thank you for coming to live on this earth, to, to walk alongside people, to teach them, to guide them, but, but not just to do that, but to die for us, to rise for us so that we can put our faith and trust in you. Jesus, help us to look to you to be the answer for the questions we have about what we read in Scripture, through what we try to understand about everything in the world, about God and how you work and, and, and how you love us and how you want to be with us and what you desire for our lives. Jesus, would we look to you alone as being what brings fulfillment and, and fruit for us? Lord God, would we be a people, would your church be a people who are focused on you alone? But not that we might exclude others, not that we might be selfish, but so that we can take this, uh, this empowerment, this nutrient, this, this wonderful news of you to the world so that you might be able to have more glory. Holy Spirit, guide us in these coming days. Help us, remind us to look to you alone for our salvation, for our focus, for our fruit. And would you be glorified as we do. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.